Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics with your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash Radio. Welcome to a mini edition, hopefully a compressed edition of this, well, you know, unfortunately it will be a compressed edition of this week's show. But uh, again, so much to talk about. Let's just first and foremost, sponsored by the S4 Group, S4GRP.com. S4 is a full-service government relations and communications shop. And you can subscribe to a weekly email on politics and policy, state-by-state items of interest to your business. S4GRP.com. Go to the weekly newsletter. I promise that you will enjoy it. And, well... What a week it's been. And first, we have to start with the tragedy, the incredible tragedy of the worst mass shooting in U.S. history in Orlando. I don't care who it was, what it was uh, out there in the audience, whether you approve of the lifestyle or not. You cannot help but feel pain and sorrow about the fact that 50 people more than 50 people lost their lives in this shooting and just the reactions to it well just troubling shocking i know it's the political season and let's not look it through the lens of who this helps and who this hurts who is handling the crisis it just the fact is that it's a tragedy this man was clearly um well he, he seemed to defy any type of expectations Uh, American-born, a security guard, had been investigated the FBI, but then cleared. Very troubling, I'm sure, as the investigations go on. And we go down, and he he was a domestic abuser. He was divorced. His new wife had gone with him. She seemed to have known that there might be an attack. Didn't report it. Uh, So much that is troubling about this. But, you know, again, uh, Donald Trump's policies and his reaction would not have prevented this. The man was clearly in the country legally. Uh, yes, you can call him an Afghan the same way you want to call Judge Gonzalo Curiel a Mexican, but he was not. He was an American. And there is you know, the same way in other places that people become radicalized that that can happen here. But let's just talk for a second about the week that was in politics we can talk about so much with regard to gun control and the issues around it and immigration that all have a confluence that all have an intersection with politics but we really need to talk for a second about the political week that was and what is going on in specifically the presidential race vis-a-vis the Republican Party has once again fractured, or maybe it was never healed. It seemed for a while, it seemed for a couple weeks, that the Republican Party was headed in a direct of unification, while the Democrats were seeming to find a way to have that proverbial circular firing squad that they so famously have fight amongst each other. Bernie Sanders out of the folds, Hillary Clinton with the establishment, Bernie still claiming that he's the one who can win the general election, Hillary showing tremendous weakness with certain primaries, and that really has turned around, let's say, over the last 10 days. Whether the Clinton campaign realized that they needed to start winning, it wasn't good enough just to kind of coast and do their thing, Uh, that they needed to actually win states. And they did that impressively uh, with a big win in California and a place where Sanders thought that he could 
come out and win. They had a very significant win in California. Uh, they won in D.C. in the final primary. There really isn't much of a case that I can think of, that most people can think of, for Bernie Sanders to not pack it in. Oh, look. He wants the he wants his moment. He ran a great campaign, an inspired campaign, an interesting campaign. Certainly shook up the establishment. He wants some scalps. He certainly wants Debbie Wasserman Schultz's scalp for the perceived siding, or maybe she wasn't even perceived. She really was with the Clintons. And but the fact is that the DNC did its best to kind of protect the establishment. So Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a certainly a big target and sanders has already decided he was going to raise money for her opponent so that's interesting uh in as much as uh that you know trying to get involved in a political race where you're trying to prove a point uh i'm sorry a down ballot primary race in florida and the other interesting florida news is that senator marco rubio was who was presidential candidate and thought of, of soon to be ex-senator Marco Rubio might actually run for re-election. I don't think that is even that much of a surprise at this point. People were whispering that for quite some time, that Rubio was really the only chance the Republicans had of keeping that seat in Florida, particularly with Donald Trump on the ticket. And the big issue right now is can they get the other pal- candidates off the uh, out of the race? It seems that they can. It seems that people are going to defer to Rubio. Clearly, Rubio is not thinking, although, you know, for, let's say, a very, very brief moment that he was going to be vice presidential material to Donald Trump, but that is clearly not happening. And, you know, that would be a good segue into the, well, the dearth of vice presidential options right now for Donald Trump. And I don't mean the options of who he might pick for vice president, but I'm thinking right now of who might accept him to be vice president. So not that Trump feels that he needs that any of that support, and you know he doesn't seem to want it. But you know the truth is you can't have. It's hard to run on a ticket, and he is sharing the ballot with many of these senators up for re-election and the House members up for re-election. And you know you don't want to be a drag on them, and you also want their help, and you want to win in concert. But you know the reaction he is getting from particularly senators, even those who had supported him, is is really, well, it's just, let's just say they're distancing, them, <coughs> distancing themselves from him. But it, it's a little more than that. I mean, it's just basically, I don't want to talk about him. I mean, John Cornyn, who is the number two Republican in the Senate of Texas, normally a pretty loquacious fellow, uh, willing to comment, always good with a quip or a soundbite, uh, he basically said, I'm not talking about it until after the election. Now, the election is in November. He's not going to talk about it from now until November. And, you know, Mitch McConnell is basically saying, well, next question, please. I don't want to talk. I'm not going to talk about the daily commentary on the presidential race. And, you know, Ted Cruz, uh, who I don't know that that breach will be healed between him and Trump. said, I have no interest in providing play-by-play color commentary on the ongoing political battles in the presidential race. And even those who were deemed to be close to Trump or heading in the Trump direction, such as Bob Corker of Tennessee, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, who uh, about a week ago or two weeks ago went to Trump and his vice presidential material, uh, Bob Corker has basically said, I, you know, I've tried to get Trump to change and he clearly isn't listening. Um, I think his key quotes were, I don't know that I really have a lot to say. 
I'm discouraged by the results of the advice that he has offered. And, quote, it wasn't the type of address that one would expect a person wanting to leave the greatest nation in the world to make, Corker added. 50 people have perished and 53 more have been harmed. Trump continues to be discouraging. That is not a, that is the signs of a conference, a Senate conference, thinking that they are doomed, that they're going to lose every swing state, that they're going to lose Mark Kirk and they're in Illinois, that they're going to lose Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania, that they're going to lose the seat in Florida, that they're going to lose Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, that they are going to lose the Senate majority, Kelly Ayotte in New Hampshire, that these swing states are going to be weighed down by the tremendous and incredible unpopularity of Donald Trump. And we'll have to see. I mean, even a guy like Hugh Hewitt, radio talk show host, conservative, who had basically said that you know, he has gone kind of back and forth. He was kind of an anti-Trump. And then he had talked about, you know, changing the rules and then of the convention. But then he turned around and then said, well, you know, we, we shouldn't do that. But then he seems to just go back and forth as far as, you know, Trump needs to grow up. He doesn't do, you know, do it. And, you know, kind of, I like him on the teleprompter, but I don't like him on the off-the-cuff remarks, which, of course begs the question of all this, and I think Hugh Hewitt has kind of crystallized it for a lot of people who are having a discomfort with the nominee or the presumptive nominee, is which Trump is going to show up? Is it going to be the scripted Trump who can deliver a good speech, who can deliver policy perspectives, or is it going to be the Trump that says incendiary things, who suggests that President Obama somehow sympathizes with terrorists and terrorism and that, for a lot of people out there, is certainly going to be the big question as to whether they do come July and come beyond. Well, let's talk about Clinton. Let's talk about the Democrats for a second. Big week for Clinton, and it really shouldn't be. If you think about it, the email scandal is we we just don't talk about it. We don't hear about it. The same way that Donald Trump sucked out all the oxygen from any other candidate in a good way for him during the Republican nomination fight. He has sucked out all the oxygen, the media oxygen, with regard to Hillary Clinton and her emails. Other than to say Clinton belongs in jail and she should go to jail for what she did, uh, which is a pithy soundbite, although probably not enough. And to reference Bill Clinton instead of the you know, go back, so let's go back 20 years instead of talking about right now the emails, the email report, the Inspector General's report. Let's talk about that right now. That has totally been eclipsed by Trump and his various statements, which is incredible given the fact that you would think that this is a very damning report for a number of reasons. I think I spoke about it last week. The report basically said that Clinton's senior staff did not cooperate with the inspector general, even though they promised full cooperation. The report said that Clinton did not follow the rules, and she did not, as she had said. So things that she had claimed that once again... People make give them discomfort with the Clintons that, that they you know they the truth and the Clintons are casual acquaintances. Well, this hasn't stuck because it just doesn't seem to be a big enough issue to eclipse what's going on with Donald Trump and Clinton. As I said, won California by thirteen points. 
it was almost as if now, yes, there's still a count going on of mail-in ballots, absentee ballots going on, but that's not it. 13 points is a very convincing victory. And if you thought that somehow, somewhere, as Donald Trump said, that he's going to contest California because the Clinton support was so soft amongst liberals, amongst progressives, amongst Democrats, well, that's no longer the case. I really don't think that realistically, um, now he's down, I think, by 20, 21 points, or anywhere from 15 to 21 points, I've seen that Donald Trump is really going to contest California. And Clinton is certainly looking, and, and she did this while truthfully looking at Trump at the same time. So she had Sanders on one side and and Trump on the other side, and I think did it quite deftly. And the Democrats have also benefited from a united front attacking Donald Trump, uh, President Obama, who is now popular once again, I think has been very effective. With that, other Democrats, Elizabeth Warren, and others have coalesced around Clinton, and you're seeing coordination, and you're seeing effective communication strategy to try and win every day. That is the key in any campaign, or certainly one of a, on the presidential level, is win the media every day. There is constant media attention, win the media every day. Donald Trump did that in the primaries. He is having a tremendous trouble winning. He's still dominating the media, but he's not winning the media. And that's because his message is, well, it's difficult for a lot of people to understand. His message is all over the place, and it's uh, it's a little bit surprising. So let's, uh, let's just get into a couple more points with regard to uh, overall, you know, where we see things going in this in this race. I mean, really, what you have to see right now is a trend away. Uh, you know, the Trump, you know, Donald Trump won, I think, 13 million votes in the primary. He needs about 65 million votes to win the general. Where are those votes going to come from? Well, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. I think any candidate, given the co- fact that the co- country is so divided, is you know has a, a floor, let's say, of 40, 42, maybe forty three percent. Of course, that's not enough to win, and uh, you know you need to look at the you know that are in play and figure out which one of those. Donald Trump is going to win. Which one of those? And Clinton, you know, shouldn't coast. She shouldn't go ahead and get complacent. She got to use the money that she has. She's got to use the staff that she has, the, the money, the organization, the staff advantages in order to go ahead. This race is by no means over. It will certainly be interesting. But on the other hand, somebody, somebody needs to get control of the Trump campaign at this point and try and figure out how to go ahead and right the ship, at least get from a management perspective how to do that. Uh, and you know, you're seeing also tremendous fundraising difficulties in that regard. Okay, enough about the presidential race right now. I want to just uh, very quickly discuss a you know a burning issue that's been out there with regard to uh, the New York City mayoralty as well as the myriad of investigations that are going on around it with the fundraising scandals and the response to them, which I find, I have to say, from a messaging perspective, puzzling at best. And, you know, this is, 
one thing that we've seen from Mayor de Blasio, and I, I don't, I want, you got to give Bill de Blasio credit for having won masterfully the mayoralty, coming from behind, defeating more seasoned candidates. And I think he gets a bad rap on management of the city. There is this perception that he's good at politics and that he's bad at being mayor. And actually, I think what we've seen is the opposite. I've probably said this before. I know I have. We've actually seen that he has done a pretty good job at getting some pretty big programs done, pre universal pre-K, which is pretty incredible, and getting you know getting things done. But what really has happened at the same time was the fact that he, the messaging and the politics of it several forays into national into the national scene have been total disasters and as well as the fundraising really coming back to bite him what he has done and tried to do you know he claims the most transparent administration in history and really he's kind of been anything but transparent uh, attacked bloomberg over and over for not being for not having administration was transparent and as well as attacked um, as well as, as attacked, uh, you know, other rivals. But really, they have been very reluctant to go ahead and share information with the public as well as with the media. He's had a very contentious relationship with the media, which is never good for any New York mayor. But what, what's, you know, a couple things that have really surprised me with regard to his reaction and let's just talk about the what's known as the scandal right now there are actually various investigations and various scandals going on uh one of them concerns a nursing home or a former nursing home that was sold for condos of the lower east side where the city uh took off deed restrictions and the owner pocketed a cool 74 million dollars on flipping the property yep that's 74 million dollars for not a lot of work uh pretty good if you could find it uh, number two is involving the police department with a, uh, a number of people who were giving gifts to officials and getting favors in return. Uh, number three is the state senate fundraising where they would take contributions over the legal limit and funnel them through county committees of upstate counties in order to help state senate candidates and uh, de Blasio was had his people were soliciting those donations as and then his fundraising for what's known as the campaign for one New York which was a separate kind of shadow organization where the mayor was fundraising or not technically fundraising but others were fundraising for him the campaign for one New York was collecting money unregulated un uh, unlimited donations from people with business before the city and were they able to get special favors in that now de Blasio's had a couple different reactions to this, or the administration has had a couple different reactions to this. And number one has kind of been, well, it wasn't me, it was my aides. Um, that's kind of the Christie excuse, right? I didn't do it, but it was the people who worked for me did it. And had I known that they were doing it, I certainly would never have condoned it. Uh, number two is kind of, well, I don't really know those people, the people who gave. I, I didn't, you know, I don't know them. I didn't know them. They don't know me. We don't, you know, we're, you know, we continue to be at, you know, then number three is, well, nobody can buy me because they, everybody knows my policies. Everybody knows who I am. They know I'm progressive. So nothing is going to change in that regard. And with regard to the nursing home lower east side, well, I didn't know. AIDS did this. We didn't have any idea. It wasn't City Hall. It was an agency. And now that 
explanation is seems to have been totally debunked by various emails and communications. It seems that City Hall did know. It seems the deputy mayor this the going on. It seems that the agencies, and as well as the person who responsible for this was not demoted, she was actually promoted at the agency that did it, uh, became a commissioner with the agency that approved this. But something that was even more troubling that I found in his response was with regard to the you know, the campaign for One New York and the donations were taken there. And he said, well, more people, the evidence that nothing was done wrong here is because you have to look at people who didn't get what they wanted, who gave money, but they didn't get what they wanted. So that's evidence that nothing was happening. You know, if you have to go there, if you have to go to that point to say, well, these people didn't get what they wanted, they really wanted something, but they didn't get it. And therefore, that's evidence that we have no sense of corruption here. We're not going ahead and taking anything inappropriately. We're not doing anything inappropriately. I think what troubles most people in the public is the level of access accorded to the people who are giving money. It's not necessarily whether their cause was there. But, you know, de Blasio had kind of pictures himself as the friend of the common man, as the person who's going to change everything, who's going to change that oligarchy, if you will, or the uh, of the people who are out there who are uh, you know, who don't have access, and now you're changing. You know, you're giving access to big bundlers and big fundraisers, and that was well, that didn't happen under the Bloomberg rule because there were no fundraisers. And when Bloomberg was mayor, there just wasn't anything like that because people, you know, no, it was kind of you know, yes, people had access, and there were lobbyists always, as there always are, circling around. But it was a different type of regime that has changed significantly. And even if you look at De Blasio's schedules, that has changed significantly about who he meets with, and he meets with people who bundle and raise money. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is something that's part of politics. Um, as exists. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that under the rules. You want to say something morally wrong with that? Okay, that's, you know, that people are entitled to feel that there's something morally and unjust and unfit with regard to politics. Because, and I think that's the problem, is the rhetoric doesn't match his rule. De Blasio campaigned that he was going to be the the savior of the common man, that he was going to have equality, that everything, and however... You know, you almost felt that he was going to have distance from the real estate industry, but no mayor in New York can really have distance from the real estate industry. Effectively, the real estate industry is one of the most important industries in New York, and they need to, uh, you know, de Blasio wants to build affordable housing. He needs the real estate industry to do that. He wants to do other things. He needs the real estate industry to do that. He wants the city to thrive. He needs the real estate industry to be there with that, and that is something that he can't get away from, but at the same time, I think a lot of people were under the impression that when de Blasio became mayor, the gentrification was going to stop, that luxury condo building was going to stop, that various things was going to stop, and he was going to be the one to put an end to it. And that, of course, hasn't happened. And it's not going to happen you know, with him because it's New York is a successful city, and it's going to continue to be successful. And de Blasio trying to run away with it, with the rhetoric, but not matching that to his actual governing is, you know, that's, I think that's where the problem, the conflict comes. And he's almost with regard to that. And assisting, well, you know, we, we continue to be as great. Look at what we haven't done for people. Well, if that's where you got to go, then you've already lost control of the message. And I think he's in for a tough year as he 
as he goes to re-election, the, these questions and these scandals will continue to dog him. And I forgot his... Mentioning his biggest one is, well, these charges are all politically motivated. These are all coming from the governor. These are all coming from those who are his enemies, and they're out to get him, and they're not out to get anyone else. That is, I, I hate to say it, but you know, that is just not the where you want to be in this uh, when you have the U.S. attorney looking into your administration saying, well, this is coming from somebody else. I mean, the problem is, is for him is that he kind of claims that there was no issue with taking these donations and funneling them to upstate state Senate candidates in order to flip the state Senate to the Democrats. He, you know, well, everybody did it. Well, what specifically with regard to correspondence, what they did And just to get into the weeds here, just because I think that he did that and tries to confuse and mislead uh, people a little bit on this, is when you take a donation and say to, and this is say, this is how going to the state Senate, and then the candidates are calling and saying the, are saying that, are calling up and saying that, well, where's my money? It came, you know, we know that you just got, uh, you know, $100,000 from this developer. You know, we need it right away for the campaign. And it's all coordinated and it's all laid out in advance. That's a problem. And I think that's what the issue is going to be for him as to how that money was earmarked. If it is earmarked for a specific candidate, then it, it does specifically violate the campaign finance law. And of course, de Blasio was supposed to be above that. He was supposed to be the guy who was going to be transparent, who was going to go ahead and change kind of that culture of, you know, secrecy in government. And that hasn't happened. And worse enough, and we'll close with this thought, he has designated five lobbyists, or not lobbyists, uh, five of his former campaign people as agents of the city. Uh, even though they're not employed, even though they're not in the payroll, he has tried to shield them from any freedom of information laws, that any correspondence he has with them, that any discussions or meetings he has with them are not subject to the open meetings law. Now, when you're a government, everything you do is subject, all your emails are subject to what's known as the open meetings law, that they can be uh, that they can be foiled and somebody can go ahead and request them. And de Blasio has tried to shield five people as agents of the city and new terminology to go ahead and say that these people are not subject to those same freedom of information laws out there. So it's, it's troubling. Can he get past it? He certainly can. Does he have very significant advantages as an incumbent Democrat who has a strong base with unions and minority voters here in New York City. Certainly, uh, is this fatal? By no means. But one thing he has to do is get a better message, as I outlined, you know, the five, six different excuses that he's coming up with. None of them are satisfactory. And hopefully, uh, for his sake, this will not be the death by a thousand cuts that come along. And, you know, just the one thought, this was supposed to be, or should have been, a kind of a banner year for the you know, election, if you you know if you're betting on the fact that there's going to be a Democrat, you know, going to succeed Obama in the White House, somebody that you're close with, somebody that you should have been close with, would have a long relationship with, that is Hillary Clinton, uh, who looks like he's going to be the Democratic nominee. Uh, De Blasio burned his relationship there by not endorsing, by playing coy, by trying to be the. And, you know, the one thing I've said is that when he, he's, he's pretty good, he has been good at the nuts and bolts of mayoring. But when he wants to be the progressive 
captain of America, the progressive leader of America, when he wants to play in national politics or wants to play beyond his sandbox or even play in upstate New York in state Senate races, he has been a failure. Stick to your J job, Mayor de Blasio. You'll probably be much better off for it. That's it for another week here on Spin Class. Hope you enjoyed. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs here on the, Nasser, on the Nachum Siegel Network. And remember, we are sponsored by Spin Class. Thank you.